It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show Sean Sherman, the sous chef. And let me let me just clarify: sous is spelled S I O U X. The sous chef. It's a little bit of a play on words there. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Now you're the author of the Sous Chef's Indigenous Kitchen, and uh, was named one of the best cookbooks of 2017 by NPR, The Village Voice, Smithsonian Magazine and uh, Up Rocks, as well as New York Magazine, San Francisco Chronicle, Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine, and others. So congratulations on the success of that. Thank you very much. Now, the play on words, of course, um, with your, your, your name, uh, you being a, a, a Sioux, of Sioux heritage, and um, we're here to talk about an article that you actually wrote. Um, the Thanksgiving tale we tell is a harmful lie. And um, it's an interesting article, I have, to, I have to say. I read it, and I thank you for sharing that article. Can you tell me a little bit about the backstory of the article? Why and how did that article come about? Um, you know, so uh, around Thanksgiving time, when we get a lot of attention, especially just being a chef here in the States, and um, with our focus on Indigenous and Native American food, so people will always reach out, especially news um, entities, and just be like, hey, you're a native chef. You know, can you um, give us some recipes on Thanksgiving? Um, and I really, you know, chose to um, – I was really happy that this article worked out um, because I really wanted to kind of share and showcase, uh, you know, a more true perspective of Thanksgiving from an Indigenous um, viewpoint because um, we live with so much of uh, mythology and whitewashing of the story that it's just, um, you know, really not not correct. And it can be extreme, extremely harmful in a way of kind of ignoring the true histories of things that really happened and the struggles and hardships of a lot of our Indigenous communities that they went through um, um, to kind of tell kind of a colonial lie when it comes to it. Yeah, and, and you share quite a bit about that colonial lie. You share about the history of your, in fact, your own family. Um, I understand your grandfather uh, was somehow uh, part of the uprising against Custer. Is that what I understand from the article? Yeah, my grandfather was 18 during the Battle of Little Bighorn um, or the Battle of Greasy Grass um, in Montana um, in the late 1800s. And uh you know, he grew up like a lot of Lakota, just traditional on the plains, um, and saw that uh, happen. Um, and, you know, I, I think about his lifetime a lot because not only did he grow up seeing a lot of um, uh, just strife and battles between the U.S. government and the Lakota out there on the plains, but he eventually sees uh, his uh, kids uh, grow up in boarding schools and all of his family getting pushed onto reservation system and just see so much change happening in life um, in a single lifetime. You know, so I think it's really under, uh, important for people to understand that very um, small timeline because that was just my great-grandfather's era. So it's just a couple generations mm-hmm. ago. With my grandparents being the first generation of those kids in boarding schools and the assimilation efforts and, again, that whitewashing of history. 
you know, now that whitewashing of history spans into the story of, of course, Thanksgiving in, in the United States. What can you tell us about that whitewashing? What what did you what did you learn, and what do you know of that that history uh, around Thanksgiving? As, as it was always, uh, you, you talk about the 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 sharing at one time of year when indigenous uh, in Indian people and and the uh, the pilgrims would get together to share a meal or, or something, but you found that that story was not was not the truth at all. No, it's not accurate at all. And, um, you know, I refer to people to read more true histories like uh, Indigenous People's History of the United States by Roxanne Dunbar-Oritz, which kind of chronicles, um, you know, just how history laid out and basically just, you know, centuries of land grabbing and uh, genocide basically happening against Indigenous communities. And um, eventually, especially in the the century of the 1800s, um, so much destruction going through. Um, so to have um, a, a national holiday that celebrates uh, an extremely made up uh, time period of, you know, um, you know, of showcasing this piece that just never really happened, you know. So, I mean, you know, it's just it's just really damaging to uh, for our generations. Because when I was growing up on a reservation in South Dakota, on Pine Ridge, you know, we were taught, um, we were spoon fed that storyline and even, you know, making like uh, paper cutouts of uh of turkeys and um, headdresses and things. And, you know, it's just so crazy that that was happening on our reservation when I was a child in the seventies. And I just feel like, you know, people should be taught true histories. It's just a better understanding of why people ended up where they are. Um, You know, the hardships, the traumas that happened to communities and the traumas that we're still facing today is a direct result of those time pieces in history. And, you know, it's just really important for us to tell these true histories um, in our to our students, to our schools. And, you know, for us, with the work that we do in Minneapolis, um, we have a nonprofit called Indigenous Food Lab, where we're really focused on bringing back a sense of uh, Indigenous-focused education. And a big part of that is telling a lot of these true stories and not hiding behind, um, you know, some fabled myths. Mm. I, I guess it, it goes hand in hand being indigenous, whether you're whether you're a chef or whatever it might be that you're involved with. History is always tied in with with whatever we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, our main focus, of course, is food and culinary, and we see such a positive um, path utilizing food um, for people to just kind of wake up and see the world around them through that indigenous lens of realizing that there's food all around us, both wild and domesticated, you know, so for us where we are, um, we've worked hard to try and find indigenous seeds and indigenous farmers who are still growing some of these really cool products to take the time to learn all the plants and trees around us and how we can utilize this for food and medicine and to really make a modern interpretation of this indigenous lifestyle and showcase the people, showcase to people a better and healthier way to live within our environment also showcasing the immense amount of diversity that sits across North America. And we look at North America from Mexico all the way through Alaska with all this diversity of indigenous communities, and we want people to celebrate that. Mm. Uh, Now, of course, you you paint a picture of when you were young at your grandparents um, on on the ranch and uh, getting together for Thanksgiving and and all the typical foods. And 
And it sounds like a really wonderful memory as you share. It's nice to talk about all those those wonderful smells and the foods. And and you mentioned some of the some of the more typical things that uh, that you saw, like that were out of a, a Betty Crocker cookbook in the '60s, and 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 those mm-hmm. kind of things. And you know, it, it's a it is a wonderful memory. Uh, you describe the foods. You describe you know the sweet potatoes, the, the the turkey, of course, the mashed potatoes, the gravy, all of those wonderful things that that we think of around the Thanksgiving meal. Um, but then, you know, you, you, you launch into the idea that, that once the, your, your grandparents were gone, the, your family no longer celebrated that way after that. And it, it brings us then into, um, back into the, the time of the Puritans in 1621 uh, when they arrived on the shores. And it was the, uh, the indigenous people that helped uh, those, those Puritans survive um, initially. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the history, they showed them how to live on this land where these, um, you know, immigrants came over and had no idea, you know, what to do with this new land space and the climate that was there. Um, and the indigenous community showed them how to farm um, and utilize the agriculture and just kind of help them get them uh, on a path to start to to be healthy, mm. basically. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, as far as a holiday, the gathering with your family, um, the celebration around food is something that is really special and unique. Um, and, you know, we should have those holidays to so take the time to be with our family and to be thankful. But we don't need to make it about something that just wasn't there, which was, you know, a peaceful transaction of land space and and cultural uh you know, just ideology that was going on in that time period, because it was very clear what was going on. If you look at true histories of, Mm. you know, how people were, um, how the indigenous communities are being treated, um, you know, from the, from the early 1500s all the way, basically through today, it's still happening. Yeah. You mentioned that the, that sort of the first official mention of Thanksgiving uh, is around 1637, right around the same time, there's a brutal massacre of the uh, Pequot people. Absolutely. And that happens all the way throughout history. And there's so much um, uh, just atrocities that happen against indigenous communities. And again, a lot of these histories are completely covered up and people are fairly largely unaware of uh, all of this um, intense genocide going on, especially, um, you know, I I feel like especially in the 1800s is when it really starts to ramp up. Um, And, you know, again, like people just need to understand these true histories because it just helps us understand who, who we are today. And it helps us to get to a point where hopefully this won't happen again because, you know, we're living in a world today where, you know, we still have kids in cages here in the U S which is completely insane, you know, and this was going on in my grandparents' generation during boarding schools when they're being forced from their families and forced to go into these boarding school situations. And so much trauma was dealt to that generation of children, um, both, you know, physical abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, Mm. and all this trauma has been lasting and we still feel the effects of it today. So we have to be a part of a generation of understanding these true pieces and also just reclaiming a lot of our indigenous cultures. Um, and food is such a great way to do that. So we see such a, such a positive path to, to really understand true indigenous foods and true indigenous food diversity. Um, and because there's no reason that we shouldn't have indigenous restaurants in every single city across North America to represent the land that we're on and the history that we're on um, and to celebrate, again, that diversity. All right. Uh, we're going to come back to the food and, and how you, you bring that back into the, to the present. But before we get there, 
Um, I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in 106.5 ELMNT-FM or 95.7 ELMNT-FM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Sean, one of the things you mentioned is is a, a comment in the Declaration of Independence. It's not a very pleasant phrase uh, referring to Indigenous people at the time, and but it is in the Declaration of Independence. Can you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we're basically called savages <laughs> in the Declaration of Independence. And, you know, it's something that is just right out in front uh, of, of, you know, the, especially U.S. nationalism. And, you know, it's something that uh, is not pleasant. It's not a pleasant uh, piece to see. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a constant reminder, you know. Um, and we just look at the history of how the U.S. government has treated uh, our indigenous communities from the very beginning. You know, with George Washington, one of his very first moves was sending out his General Sullivan out to uh, basically destroy all of the um, six uh, nations up there and throughout New York and push them up into, on, into the borders of Canada, which General Sullivan does over a single summer, destroying, you know, huge fields of corn, destroying every single settlement until basically all the indigenous communities are, have completely run away. And after that, you know, uh, George Washington um, gets the name Town Destroyer, um, which is still, still what they call U.S. presidents today and the languages out there. Hmm. Interesting. Then, of course, industrialization and urbanization uh, starts to develop, and, and there's, there's a change that happens, I understand, in terms of the, yeah. the way it's interpreted or started to be seen, because there's, now there's starting to become an influx of, of more um, uh, new settlers from other countries and, and, and things. Yeah, so during that time period of the early 1900s, there became uh, a lot of people, uh, colonial families that had been there for a while, and they became very concerned with this kind of mass influx of immigrants coming over from Europe. And they really wanted to make sure that their education was um, really focused on on that colonial history and how amazing it was. So that's kind of where a lot of this whitewashing of history begins as this basically propaganda to celebrate colonial histories and to kind of erase a lot of the atrocities that happened. Um, and, you know, because if you go to school today um, here in the U.S. in our high schools and learn about U.S. history, you're going to learn very little about what truly happened against indigenous peoples um, or really um, how, you know, because the U.S. just hasn't come to terms with how it became a global power off a of stolen Indigenous land and resources on top of utilizing um, stolen labor from stolen Indigenous peoples from Africa. Mm. You know, so there's so much uh, reparation that's going to have to happen in the future to address these um, horrific issues that happened um, and atrocities that happened against humankind. Um, and, you know, so just being vocal about it and um, being able to share these true histories is, is such an important way um, to move forward to help to heal this trauma. <laughs> So off the top of this article, and, and it's something you addressed at, at the top of the interview, is that you get asked a lot about Thanksgiving. And as an Indigenous person, um, you, you struggle, I guess, with, with how to answer that or, or what to say. What do you say to people now? Well, obviously, as we just talked through, it's kind of a, a big and loaded uh, uh, topic. Um, but really, I think when it comes down to it, you know, we can celebrate these holidays with our family and our friends and celebrate food 
and ideally celebrate food, utilizing food of our regions, you know, and just take that moment and time to pause and to just be thankful for where we're at. And we don't have to include or culturally appropriate somebody else's culture completely, you know, to make it something that just doesn't need to be there. So it just doesn't need to have that story attached of a, a very, um, you know, um, made up time period, basically. So we should just be, um, you know, celebrating each other, celebrating now and celebrating, you know, food together. Yeah, when you mentioned food, it's an interesting point you raise about in the article about how when we stand back and look at the celebration of Thanksgiving and the foods that are used in Thanksgiving, many of those foods are, in fact, the indigenous foods of North America that indigenous people would have used. Yeah, I mean, you see sweet potatoes, you see uh, turkey, you see um, sometimes duck or geese, you see wild rice, um, cranberries, and, you know, just a lot of these uh, pumpkin pie, you know, just mm-hmm. all these flavors that are literally from here, you know, so, and, you know, I think it's a, it's also a great gateway because people know so little about Indigenous peoples, let alone Indigenous foods, and I think we're at an era where there's um, some amazing Indigenous chefs, um, there's a, a I have quite a few indigenous chef friends up in Canada who are doing a really amazing job up there. Um, and there's just kind of this movement growing across North America of trying to reclaim um, a lot of this indigenous knowledge through food and try to bring a lot of health back, especially to indigenous communities who have been over-reliant on government processed foods. And we've seen so much illness come out of, um, you know, a lot of this food base that's just not good for us because it's not our traditional foods. Mm. So we just see a better future again, like where hopefully we can travel across North America one day, stopping at indigenous restaurants run by indigenous peoples and experience an amazing amount of diversity that really holds true to our regions and makes us all unique. Sounds like a great idea to me. Listen, uh, <laughs> just before we leave, what else would you like to say about either Thanksgiving or the idea of, of food uh, being so close to it yourself. Um, again, like I just um, hope people can, you know, take a moment to pause and to celebrate food and not to have to culturally appropriate somebody else's culture while doing it. And, you know, if people are interested in exploring more about indigenous histories, um, of course, uh, you know, we wrote a lot of uh, recipes out using only indigenous ingredients to showcase uh, regional indigenous foods. Um, but there's just a lot of stuff out there. So I hope people just take the time to learn, um, take the time to learn the plants and start to see the world around them a little bit differently. Well, I guess the other thing that you are doing uh, as an example uh, that people could use Thanksgiving for besides uh, sharing food is, is a way to educate and share this this true history, as you keep pointing out, to, uh, that, that we can learn from. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're hoping that we can continuously create more and more Indigenous curriculum and education for people to share. Um, so we can all kind of come together because, you know, Indigenous peoples around the globe basically had um, the blueprint to live sustainably utilizing just the plants and animals of their region. And I think that's such an important thing, especially during this pandemic times where mm-hmm. it's really shown us to be very vulnerable to um, overprocessed, industrialized foods. And we should really be focused on our regional food systems and supporting that because that's our safety net. You know, things go horribly wrong if we have a really strong uh, local food scene and local growers and they're well supported. Like we're going to be okay. Like we're going to be able to support ourselves, you know. Mm. So we're just hoping that um, people can just take this moment of this weird time in history with all this pandemic and everything going on to think about how we can make a better future. Mm. Nicely said, Sean. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. You take care and uh, have yourself however you plan to celebrate Thanksgiving. Hope you enjoy yourself and uh, with you and yours.
All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. That's Sean Sherman. He's the sous chef, and he's the author of the sous chef's indigenous kitchen. We were talking to him about an article he wrote, The Thanksgiving Tale We Tell is a Harmful Lie. And he says, as a Native American, he found a better way to celebrate the holiday. It's been a pleasure speaking with him about that uh, as not only a a chef, but someone from the Sioux Nation and uh, south of the border. I wanted to get a perspective from someone closer to home, also from an Indigenous perspective. With me uh, here is Jan Longboat. Jan Longboat is from Six Nations. I've known Jan for quite some time. And so I asked her if she wouldn't mind uh, giving us uh, some information about how Six Nations and how the community uh, has has viewed the celebration of Thanksgiving over the years and, and maybe a, a little bit back into history. So Jan Sago, and welcome to the show. Sago, David. Uh, my name is Gahedio. Uh, I'm from the Mohawk Nation, from the Turtle Clan, and um, I'm really happy to be able to share a few words about uh, how the Haudenosaunee people looked at, at Thanksgiving. And what the old people always talked about and, and taught me is to that the first Thanksgiving came with the Sky Woman. As the Sky Woman in our creation story fell from the sky and landed on the back of a turtle. And at that time, at that beginning, um, we believed that there was no earth. And uh, so she, the, the animals cooperated with Sky Woman, and they went down to the bottom of the ocean, and they brought back the earth. And then they, as, she, as they put the earth on the back of the turtle, she walked. She walked around and around and around, and what we call today, she, she was doing the women's dance. She was dancing like the women do today. And as she was dancing, she spread the earth. She spread the earth on the back of the turtle. And that's why today we, we call this Turtle Island. Mm. And so when she, when she was falling from the, that upper world, she grabbed seeds from the earth, and she fell with these these seeds that she brought down to the lower world. As we say, the lower world, she fell from the upper world, and then she fell to this lower world that we live in today. She, we're told that she brought these seeds, and in order for these seeds to grow and to sustain the human being, we needed earth. We needed our mother, the earth. And she knew that someday we would have human beings. We would have many human beings. And these human beings would need food to survive. Some of the, some of the seeds that she brought, I want, I want to mention, because um, we, we look at these seeds today as our sacred food. Our sacred food. Or, and one of those, of course, is the, the seeds of indigenous tobacco. Mm. We, we still have our, our tobacco today and used for ceremonial purposes. You know, when we're planting our gardens, we, 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 we put down our tobacco. In any uh, ceremony, we put down tobacco. Any feast, we put, put down our tobacco. So that's where that, we believe that, that first tobacco came from was the upper world. She also brought with her strawberries, and the strawberries, of course, today, 
in the indigenous world, we say they're both food and medicine. And particularly, we look at the, the heart berry, as we call it, as medicine for the women. But she also brought with her the seeds of what we call today the three sisters, or in the language, uh, they're known as the three sustainers. Mm. And that's the beans, the corn, the squash. And we still, of course, include that food in all of our ceremonies, in our all of our feasts. And uh, whenever we come together, that's one of our main staple foods is the beans, the corn, and the squash. So after after the human beings were created by one of the twins, we say they were created by the earth, by, by clay. They picked up the clay and they created the four human beings. And they knew that in order for the human beings to survive, and even to this very day, we need food. We need sustenance. And that's why in, in our way, we're known to offer food in everything we do. You know, when we visit, we have food. When we meet, we have food. And so when the ceremonies were created, if we look at all of the 13 ceremonies of the Haudenosaunee people, the 13 ceremonies all refer to Thanksgiving. Every one of the 13 ceremonies talk about Thanksgiving. Mm. And, you know, uh, as an example, the, the, corn cer- the corn ceremony both the, and the bean ceremony and the strawberry ceremony and all of these 13 ceremonies um, around the four cycles talk of Thanksgiving. Mm. So our Thanksgiving was, I would say, it was a little bit different from the Western world because even in our daily prayer, so to speak, Ohanto Galiwadekwa, which means the words that come before all else. In that, in that opening, we refer to everything, foods, medicines, um, trees, animals, birds. We refer to that as the gifts, the gifts from the Creator that keep us in balance as human beings every day of our life. And it's, it's, such, a, it's such a beautiful, beautiful way to to um, every day give our greetings and our thanksgiving mm. to the whole world for for what we've been given. And so I guess um, for us then I would say that thanksgiving is every day. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving is, is every day. And so um, not, and I know in the Western world it's, it's, it's once a year, but for us as Haudenosaunee people as, all of the all of the indigenous nations, mm. we give that thanks every day um, for the gifts from creation. Mm. Now, Jan, that's beautiful. I really appreciate you sharing that for everyone, and and uh, for sharing the interpretation and and how the Haudenosaunee uh, perceive Thanksgiving. Did that change at all, Jan? Once once the the the, the um, settlers arrived, you know, I can only speak for my own community. Mm the Six Nations, but we still are carrying on those ceremonies since the beginning of time. And we we carry on those same ceremonies, 13 ceremonies, throughout the year. 
And I, I guess I also want to add, David, that our ceremonies, our food ceremonies are all connected to the to the upper world again in terms of watching the stars. The stars tell us when to plant. The stars tell us um, when to uh, have our midwinter ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And so so that, that upper world is still connected to the lower world. And so... So there's a real balance in giving thanks for the for the whole universe. Mm. There you have it. That's the voice of Jan Longboat. She is a knowledge keeper from Six Nations. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to have her on the show with me to share a little bit about uh, the Haudenosaunee and the uh, Six Nations and, uh, and the way that uh, Thanksgiving is celebrated every day. Don't go away because uh, we're going to be honoring Indigenous grandmothers' voices with some very special guests, Jody Harper, Sherry Saville, Gail Whitlow, and grandmother Renee Thomas-Hill. You won't want to miss it. Don't go away. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto. 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in uh, one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is a pleasure to welcome to the show, I have with me the co-founders of Grandmother's Voice, and they include Renee Thomas-Hill, Grandmother Gail Whitlow, Sherry Saville, and Jody Harbour. And it's a, a real honor to have them here on the show because I also know each and each and every one of them uh, personally. So it's uh, great to have them here. You're probably wondering, what is Grandmother's Voice? Well, Grandmother's Voice was developed to support Indigenous people through connecting to culture, community, and education. And it's a platform. Uh, the platform is at grandmothersvoice.com and provides Indigenous people an opportunity to showcase gifts, connect with like-minded people, and create opportunities for themselves while belonging to a community of like-minded individuals. So, may I say, welcome, Sego, mm-hmm. Scano, Ani. Scano, uh, thank you. Uh, Jody, you were going to, to tell us a little bit about uh, how this all got started, I believe. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, David. Uh, virtual hugs to you. As you know, we <laughs> hug a lot. Um, so so Grandmother's Voice, the, the actual name of it came to me on uh, while I was on my healing journey. It was a like a blog. I had created it as a blog several years ago. But um, myself as uh, an urban Indigenous woman, you know, it was uh, I grew up knowing I was Indigenous, but not having a connection to culture. And uh, you know, for the first part of my life, I, I there was nothing that really was available for me to learn. And, you know, unfortunately, my father passed away at a, a young age, uh, you know, plagued by alcoholism and just the the issues that he faced in society. And uh, and and when I had my children about 20 years ago, I surrendered to wanting to know the truth about, you know, what I was remembering. And, and so I, I began my healing journey uh, for myself and for my family and, and my ancestors to understand what, you know, what troubled my father so much in the life when he was here. And uh, the research that I found through my genealogy was that my, my family had three generations of suicide and, and I can, you know, continue to learn on my own through just, you know, researching what the Indian Act was and just following, um, you know, looking for books that, you know, were uh, 20 years ago challenging to find. 
And uh, fast forward myself to, um, you know, to or the story to about 10 years ago when I had my, my daughter and the feelings that I had came up again, you know, as a, as a new parent or a parent again, and then to a, a young, you know, a woman, I was like, I, I became more afraid and wanting to know more. So it just kind of pushed me more into, you know, finding out, digging in community and, and really getting involved with like trying to understand what, what happened to the history of my ancestors. And, and so I became really engaged in, in asking and, and just, putting myself out there and showing up in communities saying, Hey, I, you know, through my genealogy records, I found this information out. And, and so I started to really like just do the the groundwork. And a big part of all of this was uh, I had mentioned surrendering to, you know, to me back then it was whoever was listening. And the more I was, I was, you know, paying attention to the feelings and thoughts I was having every day, I was realized, you know, several years into it that I was actually being spiritually guided and, and it was so wonderful because, uh, you know, going to seven years ago, I found myself on Six Nations, which is where my ancestors are from. Um, my great grandmother was uh, enfranchised from that community. And and I, I went to that that area and I, I was actually in um, Gail Whitlow's uh, center ancestral voices doing a genealogy course that somebody had said you know hey go go call this lady you know renee here's her number and and find out about you know what she's doing and so um so basically what happened was uh i walked in and there were you know renee was facilitating this group to you know find um you know people for people to find their family and so you know the, it was the first sunday of every month it was potluck it was a couple of hours long and the fourth visit i had consecutive visit i had i i i had a little bit of a breakdown and i was like i'm you know i'm here to find my family and i'm not really feeling like i'm getting anywhere and it was the the relationship building that was wonderful and um you know what we were finding out was great but i just i i had this real push to to want more and so i, I as i was packing my bags i looked up and there's these uh four grandfathers standing in front of me and they're like, hey, you know, what? what's going on? What can I help you with? What can we help you with? You look sad. Or I said, I just want to find my family. And they said, well, just ask Renee. Go up and ask Renee. So Renee came over and put her hand on my shoulder and said, you know, oh, who's your cousin or who's your family? And I said, that's my grandma. And she looked at me and she said, that's my grandma and pointed to the the name above that and, and said, I've been waiting for you. And, mm. and you know, and it was in that moment that I knew that everything that I had been working for or searching for uh, was real because up until this moment, I just, it, there was nothing really substantial, like real for me to say that I was on this healing journey. And so in that moment, it was, you know, and, and Renee was, you know, has, has guided me along the way, but in that moment she was like, you know, okay, we'll keep carrying on what you're doing because it's working. And a few years later, you know, we find ourselves here right now where um, that's how I met grandmother Renee and Gail and Sherry is, uh, you know, I met Sherry in my community who was doing some amazing work um, with school boards and community and bringing awareness and, and really a pioneer in our communities. And so, so we just all started to, to spend time together and Renee and, and Gail graciously, you know, brought me under their wing to, to, uh, groom and, and teach me everything about the culture that feeds my spirit and my, my soul. And, um, and so here we are today doing this work together, um, you know, collaborating, bringing, bringing everything together that we need to, to support, 
indigenous people everywhere and also non-indigenous people to to guide them to be good allies with other people or with the indigenous people. Okay, so so uh, just to, to backtrack a little bit, so both Jody and, and Sherry and I, we all met uh, through those organizations that you spoke about in the in the Oakville and Halton area. Uh, Sherry, uh, uh, of course, uh, heading up uh, some of that that's some of those school organizations that work uh, with indigenous uh, uh, cultures and those kind of things. And Sherry, you're going to get to that in a moment. But grandmothers' voices, um, specifically. That is now an organization, and and um, what that does, uh, and and why that came about. That's the backstory you gave us. But what is the what is it now trying to do, and why do you want to? Uh, why why are you trying to promote this for other people to get involved with it as well? Who wants to answer that? Sherry, Sherry, go ahead. <laughs> sure, I'll answer it. So, you know, because we've been doing this work for a long time in our community, we we realize that there's such a gap of services for Indigenous community members to come together. Mm-hmm. So that was number one. Uh, number two is we don't need to, we want to be, um, we want to meet our community members in our community. And so that was, again, that's three, two, I guess. And the third one is to make sure that people are aware of their responsibility when it comes to the truth and reconciliation, when it comes to calls for justice from the missing and murdered in, um, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, um, as well as making sure that our community in Halton actually gets an opportunity to learn with and from Indigenous people. And so that's how come it was so important. Now we have organizations, community partners that really want to come along this journey of uh, learning with and and wanting to lo- know what their role in uh, truth and reconciliation is. We're just at the truth stage, of course. We'll just, we're mm-hmm. going to be here for a while because mm-hmm. of the education that none of us ever got. Um, you know, I'm I'm also uh, an urban uh, Indigenous person that I came from Treaty 6 territory, which is in Saskatchewan. And my mom is a residential school survivor. So I have an invested, I have a vested interest in this because I never got the education when I was younger that my girls now get or this generation. So I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to be, I wanted to be um, making sure that our school boards were, were creating that space and place for Indigenous uh, perspectives, Indigenous curriculum. Um, and so that's where my involvement comes in. My involvement is, um, is, is the education piece. Um, I do work with, uh, with the school board here in Halton, uh, the Catholic school board. And I was, uh, I was also uh, with the Halton, with both school boards at, at one particular time. And, um, and it was just something that they never really had an idea of the scope and depth of Indigenous perspectives, um, societies are, are the way of knowing how we raise our families, how political structures are, are set up. And so they were really, they were really green. Um, and so with, uh, with the wealth of information, I, I suppose that I brought in, you know, we've cat- catapulted our community in, uh, in ways that uh, have been uh, astronomical as far as, uh, you know, what we've been able to, what we've been able to accomplish and being part of grandmother's voice. Now we know that our elders have been, um, have been utilized, but there's been nothing, nothing there that uh, protects them in a sense, not protects them. We don't, we're not there to protect, but we, we want to make sure that certain protocols and certain observances are being captured when we engage with our elders, our knowledge keepers, our Indigenous intellects. And so when with Grandmother's Voice now, um, 
coming as a, as an organization, we're providing professional development um, to our community partners that include various agencies within Halton. And also with our teachers, that's a huge job, uh, is educating our teachers and doing tons and tons and tons of professional development. So that's where my role is within Grandmother's Voice. And not only that, I'm also Indigenous and very proud of it, but never, um, you know, only came into came into that, you know, when I went to university uh, back in, you know, almost 30 some odd years ago. And, um, you know, and, and really, I really wanted to bring that in the forefront that we need this education everywhere. Not, this is not education just for us, for Indigenous people, but it's, it's education for everyone. Right. Uh, Well said. Now, before you go any further, I want to jump in and just let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, please don't go away because we will be right back with more right here on Element FM right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's a pleasure to have with uh, me on the show today. We have the co-founders of Grandmother's Voice and uh, you've been hearing from a couple of them, and it's time to hear from a couple more. We have not uh, yet heard from Grandmother Renee Thomas-Hill or Grandmother Gail Whitlow, and uh, it's been a pleasure to, to have uh, both Jody's comments as well as Sherry's comments. Um, so from, uh, from a grandmother's perspective, uh, we'll start with you, Renee. From your perspective, um, what, what, what do you think is the, the importance of what... Uh, what you're doing uh, here with, with Grandmother's Voices. Well, thank you, David. And thank you to the people that are listening. I give um, greetings and gratitude to you. Sego, say what, Buego. Ganadisa Youngbits. Ganadisa is what they call me. Um, I think the, I love how you brought out the word truth. And that was to, that was the fire that is needed, that it was needed to be, explained again and when we heard that the eagle had landed that was in 1969 and there was going to be things changing and that there would be truth and so many of us were being groomed to get ready so with that we had when I was very young I was groomed Um, and I go back to the two row wampum because it brings a lot of relationships together because we, um, being of residential school effects, both my grandmothers were of residential, but my grandfathers were not of residential. And so it brought those two worlds together, one of pain and one of understanding. And so I took the best of both and an understanding. And I know how important it was to fill that void, to know truth and that desire for that fire to come back again. And so all along, I've, I when I speak, I'm not speaking from myself. It's recall of truth, reconciliation. I like that word, you know. At first, it kind of stuck with me. What it was like the two roll on? We like to say the ancestors are joining us. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, there's an uh, unseen uh, voice there. <laughs> we've we've lost uh, we've lost uh, Renee. Uh, 
so Gail, perhaps you could pick up where she left off. Yeah. Um, well, again, David, thank you for allowing, um, you know, our word to come across the waves and, um, mm-hmm. you know, grandmother's voice, we all have a different perspective of um, grandmother's voice. And for me, it started years ago um, during ceremonial um, time when we would uh, be doing sacred journeys. And um, one of the elders, especially um, put me at task and he was, um, you know, he was a man of few words and he would give, um, you know, very profound teachings in a paragraph. And then it was up for us, up to us to um, figure out, you know, how to interpret and to understand the full meaning, you know, and that is the way that the um, um, elders taught. And so one of the things he's told um, one of the things that was most profound to me was he said, you know, he says, I travel and you know, I travel, I go all over the world and, you know, I attend these conferences and, you know, we get um, such good information, you know, everybody's in a good space. And he says, and then we go home, he says, and then nothing, nothing happens after that. You know, it's just this emptiness. And he said, so you're, your job, he says, is to make sure that it continues. And um, he said, you know, use my resources. And um, next thing you know, within that year, within two to three months later, he had passed. And um, so here I was going, how on earth do I, (laughs) what, how do I interpret and how do I bring to life, um, you know, these, what he's talking about, yeah. So listen, listen, Jody, uh, I'm going to ask you to jump in for a sec. Uh, yeah. You and Sherry, if you don't mind. Uh, and tell us about uh, tell us about what's going on that you guys have going on right now. You know, you've got this petition going on. You've got an event coming up as well. Mm, thank you, David. Yes, we have we have a lot a lot of things happening. You know, we're constantly uh, not only I actually work part time with Sherry at the school board as well. So uh, they hired me to engage in the community here in Halton. So we're constantly working on different schedules. So it's you know um, the social schedules and then the school board schedules. So um, so it's been very busy. But within our community and the engagement that we do with the school boards, we thought you know what we we're watching everything that's happening, especially with the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Last year, they delivered the inquiry to the Prime Minister with the ceremony. And then unfortunately, through COVID, I think that, you know, what came out was that, you know, well, this is going to slow things down. And, you know, they were supposed to deliver results um, in a plan in June this year. And that was, you know, that's been postponed even to now. We haven't really heard anything. And so, so a group of, of us got together and said, like, what can, what's, let's look at this from a bigger picture. What do we really need for, for the missing and murdered Indigenous women? And there are so many uh, different groups that are, are supporting this by doing vigils, Sisters in Spirit vigils started by Native Women's Association. And then there were the um, there's the the red dress installation. And so all different communities were doing different things. And even in Halton, they were doing a red dress um, installation, leaving dresses. And so so we were like, how can we actually create an impact 
on this and really get the people to act because it's not the response, like even though it's the responsibility, obviously, of the government to put some things in place, um, we're talking about the people. How do we wake the people up to this is something that's been happening since contact. This isn't new. This is old, very ancient, uh, you know, from contact that came because this didn't exist. Violence against our women never existed in our in our culture and in our nation before contact and the settlers came over. So so that's what we created the petition for was to say, how how can we wake up the people to say, you know, these these sisters in spirit deserve more than just a monument or more than just a red dress hanging or more than this. And so um, after speaking with the grandmothers and everything that we do, uh, decision making from a business perspective, and, and that's my background is I'm, I've been an entrepreneur for 30 years. So being able to come into this conscious way, you know, uh, of doing business has just filled my heart um, and and changed things for me. So we, we do everything we do is for a purpose. And the purpose is usually bigger from a, a social impact uh, perspective. So what we've done with the monument, um, it's, it's actually, if you go to change.org, M-M-I-W-G, 2S Living Monument. That's our petition that we have going right now that we'd like to take to the government and, and a few other constituents um, on how to, to take this this request forward is we want to create a living monument. We we would need this this would fall under the whole like land back and give give indigenous people something that that will honor the spirits and the living like their their lives when they were here. And so that's a, that's our big thing right now. And we thought let's start a petition gently kind of you know uh you know show people that hey we're we're starting this and when we're gonna take that to actually the day that we'd like to deliver it is on November 26th, which is actually International Femicide um, Day. I'm, I'm not exactly sure the title, but we thought, you know what, let's run this. Forget about just doing one day now to honor missing and murdered Indigenous women. We're going to carry it from the day that we launched this right through to femicide and bring as much awareness as possible because not only has this, this affecting our Indigenous community, this is now, if we really wake up, and, and pay attention and look this because we never stopped this as a society and as a government and as a people, this issue has seeped into all communities and all societies and they're affecting all races now. And so this is, you know, we're really hoping to get that rolling, get people to pay attention with that. The petitions to sign, look that up and sign that petition, please, because we think that that's something that we could carry through our nation, not just in, in rural communities. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at now, and as as um, as grandmother's voice, and and again, every day we're just engaging community to let them know that that we're here to support their their um, development and growth and engaging with indigenous communities wherever they okay. are in, in Canada. Okay, and thank you for saying that. Anywhere in Canada, I wanted to come around to that because I want to talk about uh, what what grandmother's voice. Uh, is is striving to do uh, not just stay to the to the local region of Halton that that we've spoken about uh, quite a bit here, uh, uh, Sherry. I want to ask you, what do you think about because Jody mentioned about the the business side. She comes from a business side, and uh, and I think that that her influence. Uh, of that business side in wanting to make sure that that the grandmothers specifically we're talking about uh, you know we have grandmother Renee and grandmother Gail Whitlow with us and 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 their knowledge you spoke about the knowledge and the elders and the 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 expertise that they bring uh, as as professionals in this area is something that should be uh, remunerated for their work that they do 
Uh, do you want to you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes, definitely. And, you know, back in the day, I know when we were doing this work at the very beginning, you know, we would we would call on our elders and our elders would be the, you know, they would be the people that would come in and give us such words of wisdom and stuff. And then we we would provide them with a $50 gift card or, you know, some tobacco or chocolate. And, um, you know, and, and now we're just kind of saying, you know, we're, we're expecting our Indigenous intellects to to teach us and to learn with and from and they have to be remunerated and compensated accordingly. And, you know, we have sometimes we have no problem paying our consultants uh, a, a certain amount of money that comes in to do a two day or three day workshop. But mm-hmm. you're not willing to do the same for our elders. And so it was one of those things that we just, you know, we knew that this was a lot la- lacking right across the country. And I've spoken to numerous people across the country as well about this. Um, right from Alberta to all the way to Nova Scotia. And they've all thought that this is a fantastic idea that they need to have some sort of, um, um, not necessarily umbrella, um, uh, you know, but some, something where the elders can go to that we're, that we're, that they're being looked after accordingly, that we also know that there's crisis in communities. And so some of the crises that happen in communities, they don't, they can't afford to have an elder or somebody that come in to help the other elders. And so this is where we're filling in the gap. We're filling in the gap by having, you know, elders or knowledge holders or medicine people or, you know, trauma informed people to go to different communities that have had trauma and that the community doesn't have to worry about paying for that elder or doing Mm. that. That's the, the job of grandmother's voice to make sure that if somebody up in Northern Ontario is having a crisis that we can turn around and say to our members, you know, we need to send a crisis team to such a such and such community you know you can go and we would pay them accordingly um Mm. and we we wouldn't have to be asking the community to to be competent to compensate our elders and so you know it's one of those things that it's just uh, it's for the lack of a better word right now the umbrella um to make sure that you know we and we all our elders have have and members also get the training, uh, what the protocol is when they go into schools, here's a curriculum. So we are also doing an awful lot of training with mm-hmm. our members during COVID. We, everybody's now got, you know, we're pretty good to get online and follow zoom and things like that. And that was because of the patients that we had and not patients, but we had time. And we knew that this was the next, um, the next phase of uh, yep. doing this work. How are we still going to be impactful during this time and so this is what we're you know we're always trying to think you know not only seven generations ahead but seven weeks seven days right of what the next what the next thing may be and so you know having having like-minded individuals coming supporting each other as well as supporting our communities because that's what's really really important is making sure that we have a strong voice right across the country supporting our communities having that wraparound care that comes back into our communities and lifting, you know, we're not looking for a hand out. I always say that we're not looking for a hand out. We're looking for a hand up and we're going to be standing shoulder to shoulder to people to, in order to elevate and not having our space in place and taking our power back. And that's equity is when we have a space and a place for our voices, that's when equity be equity will be achieved. Okay. Thank you. We are getting very short on times, but I would like to get a, a very a quick comment, if we could, from each of the grandmothers. You, your services and what you provide is worth something, and you should be compensated. Um, when, what did you think of that when you heard it? I'd like to get Gail's uh, comments. Thank you. Yes. Hi. Um, I'm sorry about what happened. I think I had the most beautiful story was telling you. Then I looked, and I was going, oh, my gosh, how much did you hear? <laughs> so um, I was... Um, 
uh, speaking about, you know, the beauty of um, um, education, how uh, the elders uh, of yesterday, even though the, um, the messages were um, profound, we still have the ability to bring those messages forth. And um, Grandmother Circle is a beautiful way to do that because now um, we have a, 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 I guess you could call it a bigger net to um, share teachings mm. and to share voices. And, and, and the beauty of it is um, I see the desire um, of, um, I guess, the scope of the, you know, I, I guess I just see that many people are interested in sharing and, and learning. And um, to me, it makes my heart um, really happy. And so mm. that's the voices of the grandmothers, you know, they, mm. the respect that um, you kind of um, achieve um, when you have all of those years of wisdom behind mm. you is um, the way to pave the education for the future of our generations. I want to make sure that we mention, as we're getting very close to running out of time, and uh, I wanted to mention several things. Grandmother's Voices uh, website, which is uh, grandmothersvoices.com, and um, and also that, that we talked about the petition, and that's a fairly long one, but it's, uh, it's uh, at your website, and then it's www.change.org slash M-M-I-W-G-2-S living monument. So you can find out more at all of those things. Ladies, we're, we're really out of time, and I, I apologize, but I really want to have you back on so we can continue this conversation. We did a great job of establishing what uh, Grandmother's Voices is about. Let's go deeper. I really want to hear from both uh, grandmothers uh, on this as well. So I want to say nyao emigwech, and, and thank you so much for joining us here on Moment of Truth. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Yes, we'd love to. All right. That sounds great. We've yeah. been speaking with uh, Grandmother's Voices, and they are Grandmother Renee Thomas-Hill, Grandmother Gail Whitlow, Sherry Seville, and Jody Harbour. It's been a pleasure speaking with all of them. That's your show for today. We thank you for listening here each and every day to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. We'll see you next time. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.